This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. India reported almost 1.8 lakh new COVID-19 cases on Monday. This is the third wave of the pandemic and infections are rising faster than ever before. But the markets are doing just fine and restrictions on public movement or lockdowns are few. There seems to be a general assumption that this wave is due to the Omicron variant which is not as severe as previous variants like Delta. There is complacency all around and thanks to vaccination many believe that this is the end game of the pandemic. However, a new study shows the folly in this assumption. The study was led by Dr. Ravindra Gupta. Professor of Clinical Microbiology at the Cambridge Institute of Therapeutic Immunology and Infectious Diseases. He is known for his extensive work on HIV and along with his team Dr Gupta helped a London patient who is only the second person in history to be cured of AIDS. Dr Gupta's team has applied all this knowledge to SARS-CoV-2 the virus causing COVID-19. Their study found that while Omicron causes less severe disease than other variants, it's due to an evolutionary mistake made by the virus, and the virus itself isn't getting any milder. In this episode, we'll be talking to Dr. Gupta. We will discuss the Omicron variant, vaccination, drugs used for treatment of COVID-19, and the future of the pandemic. It's Tuesday, 11th of January. I'm your host Nehal Chaliawala and you are listening to Omicron is not mild on the morning brief. Dr Gupta thank you so much for joining us on the morning brief. Can you tell us more about your latest study on the Omicron variant of SARS-CoV-2? Yes, so with the Omicron variant we were like everyone else very surprised at the sheer number of mutations and the distribution in key parts of the the virus spike protein which we have uh, learned over the last year are very important for its biological characteristics so we started making um versions of this virus in what we call pseudotyped assays and we also worked with the live virus and one of the first things we noticed with the live virus was that it was um quite severely um impaired in a particular lung cell line um but not another cell line that was from from lung tissue from higher up and this was very surprising because uh, the virus is known to use two different routes to infect cells and most variants that we've seen are doing this pretty efficiently in both routes but this virus appeared to be using one route predominantly rather than the other it was blocked in the other route and that route is predominant in lower lung cells what this means is that the omicron variant of the virus is much more effective in binding to the upper respiratory tracts of our lungs but not so much inside the lung This is the reason why infections in Omicron are observed to be less severe on average. The virus infecting the lung was one of the main reasons why past variants caused much severe illness. And data from South Africa where the variant was initially detected show that while cases went up significantly with Omicron, hospitalization and deaths didn't increase at the same rate. You said that infections being milder with the Omicron variant that's not because the virus is becoming milder but rather it's an evolutionary mistake that the virus has made. Can you please explain this to me like I'm a 5-year-old? Yes, so, so viruses are there to um 
make themselves fitter and stronger and move from one person to another more quickly and more effectively, even when our defenses are increasing, such as vaccination. And so one of the barriers that we have placed in the way of viruses is, of course, vaccines. And the viruses need to make mutations to avoid those vaccine, uh, those antibodies from vaccines. And we saw that with Omicron. But there are other mutations as well. And we thought that some of these would be increasing its infectiousness, which indeed they have done. They have increased the rate at which this virus is moving from one person to another. Um, and interestingly, that has come at a cost to the virus. So it has also been associated with a loss of a particular function of the virus, which is to infect cells deep in the lung tissue. And we've also more recently shown in the gut uh, and gallbladder. So it's lost the ability to infect certain cells, but this has not led to any disadvantage to the virus that we can see. It's actually been an advantage to the virus. So we, we call it a mistake because the, the point is that the virus is not there to make us sick. It's just done something in its, um, in its evolution to make itself better at transmitting. Um, and actually it's made a mistake in terms of the way it causes disease in humans. And, and that, that I've called an evolutionary mistake because um, the next variant that comes will have potentially not done the same thing. It will potentially, and in my view, much more likely to be just like the SARS-CoV-2 variants we have seen before, but even more, let's say, uh, evolved and evasive of immunity. So what you mean to say is there could be variants of uh, SARS-CoV-2 in the future that are as viral as Omicron, but could also be as devastating and cause as severe infections as the Delta variant? Yes, I think that is uh, likely to be the case. Um, on the other hand, of course, our vaccination programs are um, more, uh, more developed now as compared to when Delta came. So there is more population level immunity. And so therefore, that will dampen the effects of any new variants if we are able to keep up vaccination and if we are able to extend vaccination to places in the world where there is uh, inadequate coverage. So I, this isn't a doomsday kind of prediction that I'm making. Um, all I'm saying is that um, we, we, we should expect viruses like Delta, but with more immune evasion that are trying to deal with our immune defenses in the future. And that is why we need to keep up our guard um, against this virus and make sure that our vaccination levels are as high as they can be and that we limit the opportunities for further infection events in individuals, because that is the reason why new variants arise in the first place. Understood. And with the pace at which Omicron is spreading in the population, does it also significantly increase the chances of us seeing new variants? Yes, so that's, that is correct. I mean, the more, the more infections there are, the more chronic infections there will be, and the more evolution will happen in people. But, but as we know now, the, the serious, the significant variants do take weeks, months to evolve before um, declaring themselves. So we may not see the effects of all of this for some time. What is particularly alarming about the Omicron variant is how contagious it is. The virus is spreading much faster than previous variants. During the first week of January in India, the pandemic touched an R0 value of 4. This was 1.69 at the peak of the second wave. What is R0 value? It is basically the number of people further infected on average by one infected person. So if R0 is 4, every person down with COVID is on average infecting four other people. And that's really alarming. 
Here's Dr. Gupta explaining why Omicron is so contagious. Part of it is going to be the fact that it has mutations which will help it to avoid vaccines. But as you say, um, it's very high even in comparison to viruses which were circulating in the absence of any vaccine or other immunity. So um, there is something inherently different about this virus. Now, one of the things that's possible is that we um, are able to demonstrate that it is infecting nasal cells very effectively. So these upper airway cells appear to be highly susceptible to the virus and it makes it, you get a lot of virus production. Um, so the, the location of replication may be an important part of this. In other words, if the virus is making a lot of copies of itself up in the nose and the throat, these are the areas where you cough, you know, you may be expelling virus from and therefore make it more contagious. The other thing is that the virus spike protein is able to bind more tightly to the ACE2 receptor on our cells than previous variants. Um, uh, so, so that means that it has made itself better at locking on to the receptor once it finds it. And therefore that, that is potentially another cause for its um, increased infectiousness. And there are reports from Cyprus of a Delta Cron variant. So if you hear the word Delta Cron, you probably think that's something out of a sci-fi movie. Well, actually, it's what health leaders in the country of Cyprus named a new strain of COVID-19. You see, doctors found in more than two dozen patients over the weekend combining mutations from both the Delta and Omicron variants. Can you shed more light on what this Delta Cron is? And is it something that we should be really worried about? So my understanding of this Delta Cron is that it's been characterized based on sequencing. And the problem is that there's a lot of issues with sequencing of uh, coronavirus at the moment. There's a lot of contamination going on. So if a lab is processing samples from Delta patients and from Omicron patients, you will start seeing, or you can start seeing artificial mix-ups in the results. And that will give the impression that you have a virus, have viruses which are, um, new viruses that are mixtures of the two. Um, so as far as I can see from what I've been reading and seeing is that the Delta Cron is not really a new thing. It's not a, it's not a virus uh, and is most likely due to contamination. On the other hand, viruses that are mixtures of viruses are a potential threat. We have seen evidence of them emerging uh, rarely. And so we, again, need to keep an eye out for such variants to emerge because I do believe that they are a distinct possibility in the future. So I don't have any worries about this, what's going on in Cyprus, until I see independent verification that, this, uh, that these viruses are indeed a, a recombination, which takes uh, uh, quite some sophistication to do. Dr. Gupta, can you please explain why Omicron is so vaccine evasive? I mean, it's at the end of the day, same virus, right? Well, you see, evasive versus pathology is different. So evasion means that the antibodies cannot bind to it. In other words, the replication is harder to block. But because, uh, as I've mentioned, the target of this virus is different. It's targeting cells which um, are in the upper airways predominantly. It's moved away from cells which are in our organs, such as gallbladder in the gut. It's moved away from some of the lung cells that are deep in the tissue that, that lead to some of our severe disease. That's why it looks milder. Uh, it, it's not because of, you see, immune, our immune system can prevent infections. And we know that vaccination still protects you against severe disease because of the, um, the sort of broad immunity you get. And so uh, 
you know, even though many, many variants and viruses such as Delta and Omicron can reinfect people who are vaccinated, they don't necessarily lead to severe disease. Understood. That does raise some question about vaccines as well, right? I mean, in the future, can there be enough mutations so that the virus can completely evade the T cells in our body? Would we need variant specific vaccines in the future? So the the issue about T cells is that I don't believe that T cells are responsible for um, preventing infection. They are responsible for preventing disease and severe disease. And that is why the virus has not bothered really to make mutations to stop T cells working. Uh, um, in other words, the pressure on its transmission is not from T cells, it's from antibodies. Um, and so the T cells are there protecting us against severe infection. And that's a good thing for us because it means that the virus is not trying to escape from that, that part of our immune system. Um, on the other hand, yes, I think we are going to potentially need, you know, vaccines against different types of coronavirus. Um, the type of coronavirus or the mutation mutation profile that we choose is going to be a subject of debate and requires some considerable thought, especially as Omicron has shown us that virus biology is, is drastically changed for this variant. So, so I think that what we call multivalent vaccines or mixture vaccines are, are probably something we'll see in the future. How do you see that in light with the vaccine inequity that we see globally right now? Will the requirement for variant-specific vaccines further widen the gap between the fortunate and the underprivileged? Yes, I mean, we will have, I think we'll end up with a range of vaccines. Again, there's no right answer to any of this. Um, you know, I, I think just as there was a lot of debate about whether RNA vaccines were better than, you know, the, the adenovirus vaccines, there was a lot of debate, but actually both of them have been shown to be excellent. And so I think we'll have a similar thing with the, um, with, you know, variant-specific vaccines. They may give you another 5% protection, but at a global public health scale, there will be cost implications. And of course, there will be, you know, different layers of, of vaccine availability and, and, and also product. Um, but I don't think that is a problem. That's just the way the world works. And as long as you have good vaccines that are available at cost, at low cost for the world's poorer populations, that is the most important thing. So, for the majority of the population, pan-variant vaccines, which are just as effective dealing with variants, uh, that's the solution, right? Rather than variant-specific vaccine that may give 5 or 10% extra protection. I mean, ideally, yes, we are looking towards in the future having, you know, pan-coronavirus vaccines. I think that's the, the ultimate goal. Um, but of course, that's uh, not an easy sort of uh, thing to reach. And so in the interim, other solutions are being discussed. Now, uh, of course, the solution that we have now for the problem of new variants and invasive variants is just to vaccinate more frequently. But of course, this is now becoming rather difficult in terms of feasibility, especially for large countries like India to be considering uh, big cycles of new vaccination every few months. So, so I think now is the time where start, you know, countries like India should be thinking, can we get a better vaccine that's got broader coverage and that you won't need to kind of uh, necessarily update so often. While vaccines are effective at preventing severe disease and death, there will still be a few cases where intensive care is required despite vaccination. Having the right therapies to treat such cases is extremely important. We saw earlier in the pandemic the global rush for drugs like hydroxychloroquine, 
despite little clinical proof showing its efficacy. Monoclonal antibodies are another class of drugs being used to treat COVID. These are lab-made antibodies similar to ones created naturally in our body, but they target a specific type of pathogen. Here's Dr. Gupta's take on various drug treatments for COVID-19. Yeah, so starting with the monoclonals, I mean, targeting the spike, which is the most variable part of a virus, is a dangerous thing to do, I think, with a therapeutic drug, because, you know, you, evolution is always going to win. And so it's, it's not surprising, therefore, that nearly all the antibody um, cocktails and individual ones that have been developed to, uh, to date have now um, failed, essentially, because Omicron is not sensitive to any of them. There is one called Citrovimab from G, uh, GSK, which does retain in vitro activity. We don't know if it retains um, in vivo activity. And interestingly, that was an antibody isolated from somebody who was infected with SARS-CoV-1, and therefore it is a more broad coronavirus vaccine. But um, so, so that's why the oral antiviral drugs are a better um, concept, in my view, because they target polymerase, the enzyme which is copying the genetic material of the virus. And that is an, a protein which shows much less um, variation in the virus. It, the virus does not like to change this, this protein uh, because it will have very negative effects on its biology and replication of its genetic material. So these are, these are usually better targets um, for drugs. And molnupiravir and um, Paxlovid um, you know, have shown some clinical efficacy. Um, it remains to be seen how well they will perform in populations and whether we have the, we'll have the same problem that we did with HIV when we try and use single drugs that, you know, they're used in large quantities that we end up with drug resistance. So there are some very positive things about having these drugs, um, but some negative things in the future, of course, in terms of resistance. Doctor, where does all this leave us with regards to our fight with the pandemic? I mean, everyone thought that 2022 would be the end game. But one week into the year, people are starting to think that it could be a repeat of 2021. So what what do you think? Will we be perpetually fighting the pandemic? What does the end game look like? Uh, well, this is an interesting point. We underestimated the virus initially. I think when I heard about when, you know, when we first, we were one of the co-discoverers of the Alpha variant in the UK. And um, at that point, I realized that this was not going to disappear uh, anytime soon. Um, and so I still think we're in that position, but as I said, we've managed to, we've realized that actually the vaccines that we had against Wuhan one can give you very broad immunity against SARS-CoV-2 in terms of severe disease, if you give enough doses. So that is something that has been a, um, actually very important, good piece of good news because many of us believed that our vaccines would become useless with these new variants, but in fact, they do retain very good activity. Um, so I think the, in terms of the end game, we are getting nearer to a, you may not call it an end game, but you may, but you may call it something like a, a, a relationship where we know what we have to do to protect the majority of the population most of the time. And, and that's kind of what we are getting to, perhaps more in the, the high income countries than, 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 than uh, low and middle income countries. But of course, the burden of disease in those countries appears to be significantly higher um, for whatever reason. So, um, so, so I think that the, the pace of getting to the end game or the kind of compromise game may be different in different parts of the world, depending on local populations and epidemiology of the disease. 
Dr. Gupta, any last impressions that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think the important thing, take home message here is that, yes, there is some good news potentially here that this variant is spreading very, very aggressively, but maybe milder in individual cases. But if you're unvaccinated, you are still at very significant risk of a very bad outcome. And so vaccination is absolutely critical to protect yourself and, of course, to prevent transmission. Um, And, of course, we need to keep up our guard for future variants because this is not the first sign of the virus becoming less pathogenic, uh, which many people are trying to say. That's absolutely not true. Uh, What is improving and may take us towards a better relationship with the virus or a a, a protection against severe effects is um, global vaccination campaigns and um, keeping population level immunity at high levels. So yes, Omicron is causing less severe disease, but that does not mean that the virus itself is getting weaker and that we let our guard down. There is a good chance that future variants of the virus may infect our lungs, unlike Omicron. And given the pace at which Omicron is spreading, it just increases the chances for the virus to further mutate. Vaccines and masks are our best defense against a pandemic. Whether we opt for booster doses of the same vaccine or work on newer vaccines that may not require frequent jabs is a call that our leaders and experts need to take. But what you and I can do is mask up, maintain COVID-appropriate behaviour and get vaccinated whenever we get the chance. That's all from us today. You are listening to Omicron is not mild on The Morning Brief with me, your host, Nehal Chalyawala. Producers, Bhavya Dilip Kumar from The Economic Times and Soundarya Jayachandran from Awaz. Sound editor, Varun Kapahi from Awaz. Executive producer, Arijit Parman. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. If you like this episode, do share it on your social media. Send us your feedback at themorningbrief at theratetimesgroup.com That's themorningbrief at theratetimesgroup.com Stay safe. Credits for all external clips used in this episode have been mentioned in the description.